Isn't it great to come together and just uh, to worship like this on Sunday? I was, I was looking around and just watching you sing. And, um, you know, a, a church that praises and sings like that is, is a, a, a church with life, with vibrancy. And, um, you know, I've always been involved in some kind of singing uh, in college, high school, middle school, and uh, God's just allowed me to, to do that. But I love hearing other people sing. And uh, well done this morning. Aren't you thankful for a worship team like this? Amen. I mean, they just, yeah, don't, don't encourage them too much, okay? But it's, it's great to be able to worship with them. It's have those songs that we sing that are so singable and memorable. And uh, there are just those things that just bless our lives. You know, words mean things. And... Um, when we think of certain words, they have all these extra meanings to them. And I think of the word grace. Uh, when we think of the word grace, we think, well, you know, today uh, after we go home or to a restaurant, we may pray and return thanks and give grace for the food, right? Or there's that grace that... Um, uh, I remember in some of the acting classes, you'd walk and you'd have to do a stage trip and you'd trip like this and you see someone that does that and you say, way to go, Grace. <laughs> and so it means different things. Um, we see someone that may be a, a dancer or ballet and we say, oh, he or she is so graceful. Um, I remember in the 1970s and early 80s, uh, when the Pittsburgh Steelers, Troy, there we go, he's got a Steelers jacket with him here today. But they had a wide receiver, and you may remember the name, Lynn Swan. They had like four Super Bowls while he was playing for them. But Lynn Swan, uh, he took ballet lessons. It, it, it doesn't sound like, okay, a wide receiver football player taking ballet, but he did. And he, he did that, and people would say that when Lynn Swan was on the field and he would make a catch, but he just has so much grace. But obviously that's, that's not the grace that I wanna to talk to you about this morning. The grace I wanted to talk to you about, we, we find it in so many of the songs we sing, like Amazing Grace, or a lot of them will come to mind, where we're singing about God's grace. And it's that grace that we received because of what the songs we sang there about the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and what a difference that made in each one of our lives who have placed our faith and trust in him and in him alone. That saving grace is what we want to be able to talk about here this morning. And as we think of that grace, we're going to look at two people as we continue this uh, series on soul food, uh, a meal with Jesus. But that grace that was offered and received by one person, but rejected by the other. And when we look at this, we just see that our response to Jesus, our response to Jesus reveals our grasp of his grace. And we're going to see two different people and how they reacted and how they responded to God's grace. If you join me in your Bibles... In Luke chapter 7 is where our story begins. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a device, uh, it's page 864 in the Bible uh, there in front of you uh, in that, in that uh, rack there. 
But let me just start with reading here. It's Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. And it says this, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the, head of, uh, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Let me set the scene for you here. Back in those days, uh, it was not like right now, we come home, we shut the garage door, and we, we go inside to eat. Depending upon the household, sometimes those, those eating areas were open to the outside. And so people walking by could see people eating a meal. And the, the, the tables were set in probably kind of like in a horseshoe manner like this, where the servants could come in and they could replenish the dishes uh, for those who were eating the meal. So when they came in, they would come to the table, they would lean on their left elbow and feed themselves with their right hand. And that's the setting, that's where Jesus and this Pharisee named Simon were eating. Simon was a Pharisee. And you've probably heard a lot about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were that sect, that religious sect that uh, sprung up during the intertestamental period from, uh, for about 400 years where we, in our Bibles, where we have Malachi till the birth of Christ, that group was developed. And they believed that by their purity and their holy living, the, their strict adherence to the law, that they would usher in the kingdom of Israel, as it was under King David and Solomon, just to that extent. So they believed that that would happen. They were part of, many of them were part of the Sanhedrin. It was kind of that um, body of ruling the kind of the local laws that the Romans allowed them to oper operate under. There were Pharisees and there were Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. And that's why they were sad, you see. That's really bad. <laughs> forget it, forget it. But there they were. Here was this Pharisee. And he invited Jesus into his home to have this meal. But then there's the woman. She came to the table. And she went to the back of the table where Jesus was reclining. And we read that story of what she did with Jesus, how she, how she wept, how she washed his feet with her tears, wiped it with her hair, and kissed his feet and anointed them. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but why did she do this? Why did she even think that she could do this in this Pharisee's house? Evidently, she had heard stories of Jesus. Uh, this was just not a random act where she came in and did this. Perhaps she heard about God's grace to Mary and Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, we see. And then in chapter 2, you have the shepherds and uh, the angel appearing to them, and just that grace that was shown to there. And then in chapter 3, there was John the Baptist 
uh, who was a foreteller of, uh, of Jesus coming into the world. But Jesus started his ministry with an interesting passage with an entry, uh, from Isaiah 61, and it reads like this, uh, Luke 4.18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This woman heard about Jesus' grace, his love for sinners. Last week, as Pastor Billy spoke, there were those, those tax collectors and how God, how Jesus came to them in his grace and his mercy and poured out love toward them. She heard about those stories. But it's interesting, you have four verbs here in this passage. Notice it says there that, that, he, that she wet his feet with her tears. Can you imagine the extreme emotion that she must have had? I mean, I don't, I don't see too many people with that much emotion where they would be weeping that, that much. Maybe it, it could have been because of a death of a loved one. It could have been a lot of different things, but she was weeping so hard that the tears were enough where she was able to wet his feet with those tears and to wash them. Extreme emotion that she had at that point. Then it says, not only she, she wet his feet with her tears, it says she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, women today, we, we don't see too many with hats occasionally, but in that culture, women wore their hair up, and the only time they let their hair down was in the privacy of their own house with their husband. This was totally out of character for a woman in first century Jerusalem, in Judea. It just did not happen. But she did that. She wiped his feet with her hair. But then it says that she kissed his feet. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think I would feel pretty uncomfortable about this point. But she kissed his feet, and then she anointed his feet with an expensive ointment, but she didn't care about the, about the cost. It was because she was pouring out this love upon this one Jesus who was extending grace to so many people. And I think for her, she had heard about Jesus before. I mean, the story doesn't even make sense if she hadn't have already made some kind of a, um, I don't want to say commitment, but a love for Christ and what he had done in her life. It was that whole idea of that grace that was extended to her. Interesting story. H.A. Uh, H. Ironside was the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago from 1929, almost 20 years he was there for a long time, a prolific author, wrote lots of books. In one of his books, he talks about Queen Elizabeth I of England. So let me give you a little historical setting there. She ruled um, the late 15th century or 16th century into about 1603 is when she died. She was the last of the Tudor monarchs. She was the daughter of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. 
Uh, Henry VIII had um, Anne Boleyn executed about two and a half years into the marriage. I think she must have burnt the toast or something. But he had her executed. Later on, Elizabeth became the monarch. A lot of different things going on there. But because she was a Protestant, there were a lot of assassination attempts against her. And in one such instance, there was a woman, she dressed up as a page and hid in the queen's, I don't know how she got in there, but hid in the queen's uh, closet. And of course, all of her guards and everything, they knew that there were these attempts against her life. They were searching and they finally found this woman. And they brought her before the queen and had her kneel before the queen. And Queen Elizabeth says this to her, if I show you grace, what promise will you make for the future? To which the woman replied, grace that hath conditions, grace that is fettered by, uh, fettered by precautions is no grace at all. The queen forgave her, and as the story goes, this woman became one of her most loyal subjects and followed her. Folks, that grace, that grace that, that Christ, what God extends to us today and offers offered to that woman is the same grace that is offered to us today. And um, it moves us, when we accept that grace, it moves us to a life of devotion, a life of following Christ, a life of being in God's Word. The Pharisees' response, as we know, was, was quite different, quite different. And from him, we see that grace refused from Jesus results in little love for Jesus. This is a long passage, but let me, let me read it to you, starting at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, uh, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So... This woman comes in. We don't know a lot about her. Um, we know she was a woman of the city, uh, just like, hey, women, you're women of Romeo or Washington or whatever municipality you live in. She lived there. 
That's basically what they're saying. But then he says, she was a sinner. And we don't know what kind of a sinner she was. Uh, some have speculated that maybe she was a prostitute, uh, but she was known, okay? She was known for her sin. This Pharisee knew about it. And so here he is confronting Jesus, and in his mind, he's thinking, this guy's not a really a true prophet. Because if he was a true prophet, number one, he didn't know who she was. And second, he let her touch him, which was anathema. You, you just don't do that. But yet here Jesus is allowing them to do that. But here Jesus has something to teach Simon. Both of them were debtors. Simon, in today's dollars, maybe $11,000. For the woman, maybe $100,000. It's a lot of money. They're both sinners. But because of who he was as a Pharisee, thinking that he has this moral superiority over her, and that he is so elevated and she's down here, he just didn't think that, okay, there's just really not a need there. But that grace was offered to her from Jesus. And Simon, he's there. And number, this just speaks of two things. Number one, that Jesus was a true prophet. How do we know that? He knew what Simon was thinking. Isn't that crazy? I mean, not only was he a prophet, but he was God incarnate. He knew his thoughts. Folks, he knows our thoughts. Uh, he knows everything that's within us. He knows what we're thinking right at this very moment. And Jesus knew what Simon was thinking and the judgment that he was placing upon this woman, even though he really, <laughs> I don't know how well he knew her, but he still was passing that on. But what did he do? Jesus said, look, <clears throat> Simon, when I came in, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. It was customary in that culture because of the dusty roads to provide water for people, visitors, to wash their feet and cleanse themselves, to give them a warm welcome to their home, to give them olive oil, to put upon their hands and their face. I remember I was on a study tour in Greece years ago and our guide, it was a woman, and every morning she'd come out, and I mean, she, like, her hands, her face glistened, and I said, what do you have on? She said, olive oil, and that was given to those guests in those homes to be able to, to refresh themselves, but Simon didn't do that. He didn't give him a welcome. He didn't give him water for his feet. Uh, he didn't do any of that. Folks, this was a direct insult for him to do that. Why? The Pharisee thought he was superior to Jesus, not just the woman, but also to Jesus. And he was, he was insulting them by not caring for them, um, just thinking he was better than them. I, I like the, the TV show, maybe you've, I'm sure you've probably seen it or heard of it, uh, but Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, yeah? Uh, some of us have had dirty jobs. And sometimes you watch that show and you think, oh man, I could never do that. 
you know, who, what kind of person would put their hands in this or that smell, whatever it might be? And we almost, put our, we almost elevate ourselves a little bit higher than them, don't we? Or perhaps you've been in a restaurant and you've seen an obnoxious patron just mistreating the server. And you just want to go over and smack them, don't you? I mean, just wake up. Why are you, t- why are you, t- why are you treating this server that way? And that's what this Pharisee was doing. He was elevating himself because he felt that that self-righteousness that he had would lead him, number one, to be accepted of God, and going all the way back to the whole idea of, of um, oh, just ushering in the kingdom because of his moral purity, that that would somehow just make a difference and change everything about it. So when we fail to recognize uh, our need of God's grace, it always results in someone who doesn't welcome Jesus, uh, doesn't fellowship with Jesus, and doesn't worship Jesus. And where God's grace is refused, um, the result is little love for Christ. Um, I think it's important for us to know that our reactions, our reactions and our actions of love reveal the faith that saves. Just a final part of this in, in Luke chapter 7, sorry, verse 48, let me finish that. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can't you just imagine all of them sitting around this table? Here's this woman back here, and she's just weeping uncontrollably. And her tears and her hair being let down to wipe his feet. And all this, and the other guest at the table are looking at this taking place, and they're like shaking their heads. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Who is this man who would forgive sins? Who is this man who would allow this woman to touch him, to kiss his feet of all things? But yet, she responds, or God, Jesus responds and says, your sins are forgiven. He take, Jesus takes it up a notch and he makes that proclamation. Two realities here. The first, Jesus is acknowledging that the woman had already been forgiven. What's he say? Your faith, your faith is what has saved you. Second, Jesus is revealing who he truly is. As I mentioned before, that number one, he is a true prophet. And number two, he is indeed God incarnate. And just by showing, making that demonstration of love. And those actions of love that we see from this woman in the story reveal that she had come to believe in Jesus, the Messiah, well before that. And to trust Jesus... To trust in Jesus is to experience the unmerited favor of God, which saves us and brings us new life. 
I love this story. Um, uh, some of you have met or know Dan Stewart. Dan Stewart is our campus pastor in Algonac. <clears throat> and Dan tells a story of a, a young man by the name of Danny. And Danny came to their campus, and uh, he was not a believer. He was a heroin addict and just struggling with, with, with that addiction. But he came because of a girl, okay? <laughs> some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Well, she's going, I'm going. Uh, we want to get to know her better, but if that is an interest of her, I, I want to be there as well. Uh, personal evangelism, you could call it that, you know. But he came, and he heard the message of the gospel. And in his story, it says, the light bulb started coming on. He was starting to understand. He heard that his higher power had a name, and that higher power's name is Jesus. Danny came to know Christ. He trusted in that grace that is offered to us. His life was changed. He's been three years clean now, and uh, God has just done a miraculous work in his life. Guys, let me say this. <clears throat> if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. And that is just simply this. There is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. There is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your past. My daughter, Christy, um, we really had a hard time with her in middle school and high school. It was a battle for her soul. Some parents, maybe you've been there. And she would, she would take drugs. And I remember my son saying to her one time, Chrissy, I like you when you're high because then you're nice to me. And um, that was the battle that we faced with her. Well, summer between her junior and senior high school, there was, uh, back then there was a, I don't know, some conference, it was called DCLA. And so they, our, our group from Woodside we're taking students to Washington, D.C., not L.A., to the D.C. side. And she went. She didn't want to go. We made, kind of made her go. <laughs> but we, we had her go. We wanted to just connect her. And she heard one of the pastors, one of the preachers at that conference say, no matter what you've done, where you've been, God loves you just the way you are. He loves you. He wants to redeem you. And our daughter, Christy, came to know Christ that summer. God changed her life. And he can change your life. And, you know, the saddest part of this story to me is, is Simon. With Simon, we, we don't hear him being forgiven. He still owed a debt that he could not pay. He still owed that, and there was nothing he could do with it. Simon sat at a meal with Jesus who offered him unmerited grace, unmerited favor, and because of his self-righteousness, he totally missed it. He totally missed it. Because 
his lack of humility, understanding that he had a need. And folks, so often we're in the same place. We, we have the religious lost who because they go to church or they do this or that, they feel like, I don't need anything. I, I'm good. I had one young woman say, I'm good spiritually, but yet I know she was far away from, God, far away from Christ. But we, we kind of put our hand up and say, no, I'm good. Well, no, you're not good. Because what does the Bible say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, the wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2, we are by nature children of wrath. We can't say, oh, I've known God all my life because all your life you've been lost. You've been under condemnation and it's not until we come to this point where we understand God's grace and repent of our sin that we place our faith and our trust and receive him. The end of Simon's story, we don't hear your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Um, go in peace. This meal was a tragedy for, for, for Simon. You know, if you haven't gotten this book by Tim Chester, we have them available. But in here is just all of these vignettes of these meals with Jesus. And I want to just read you a quote here as we get ready to close. He says this about Simon. He says, the difference between Simon and the woman is not just how they view Jesus. It's how they view themselves. Simon has no sense of forgiveness because he has no sense of need. But the woman has a strong sense of her brokenness. She knows her life is a mess and she sees Jesus as someone who accepts her anyway. So she has an overwhelming love for him, a love that risks social disgrace. Folks, our response, our response to Jesus reveals our grasp of his grace. Today, the good news about, uh, is that Simon's story doesn't have to be our story. It doesn't have to be your story. You know, if you have not received and understood the grace that God extends to you today, I would encourage you, you've got to know Jesus. You need to come to know him. And if you want to know him today, after our service here, after this last song that we sang, there'll be people up here at the front. And they'd love to talk to you. And so you can experience the grace at the table that this woman did. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for the grace that has been extended to each one of us. Father, your word tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not anything that we could have done for our own. Any, any attempt falls far too short, sharp of the debt of our sin cannot be covered. So God, we thank you for that great love. We thank you for Jesus who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, was buried, that he rose again 
that our sins could be forgiven and that we could have life eternal in your presence. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for what we learned from it. Help us to grasp hold of this grace that can be ours. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.